Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Gigi Todd, a member of the NALC Branch 507. Your support in any amount helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Good evening, and I'm Gary Mitchell, a member of the Wisconsin Alliance for Retired Americans, retired from AFSCME. This week we get an update on the UW nurses' fight for a union. We learn about organizing at a local software company, discuss attempts by the city of Madison to shrink a Teamsters bargaining unit, take a look at unemployment disparities, catch up with job actions across the country, and much more. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. Nurses working for the UW hospitals and clinic have intensified their drive to regain their union. Nurses working for the University of Wisconsin hospitals and clinics met with the CEO of the hospital last Thursday and presented more than 1,500 signed union authorization cards. The nurses asked the UW to voluntarily recognize the Service Employees Union, Healthcare Wisconsin, as a bargaining agent. The UW reacted by claiming they could not do so because of Act 10 and calling into question the validity of some of the signatures. Labor Radio spoke with Kathy O'Connor, a UW Health pediatric nurse, about the status of the organizing drive, accomplishments so far, and next steps. Kathy O'Connor, what is the status of the drive now? So I would say on the ground, nurses are ramping up action inside and out of the hospital. We have a strong majority of nurses in favor of unionizing. So 1,500 have signed cards at this point of 2,600 registered nurses that would be eligible to be in the union. So we're going to continue reaching out to the community and the government for support because in reality, the nurses union isn't just for nurses. It's for the whole community and the health and good quality care. Can you outline the next steps? So I guess from a political perspective, the Common Council, the Madison Common Council mayor are all in favor. Um, Dane County Board of Supervisors, state senators, all in favor of a union. We've met with Tony Evers twice and he has voiced his strong support for our union and said he would bring all stakeholders together in any way he could. So the next steps will likely revolve around that, bringing stakeholders together um, that would need need to be in place to recognize our union. What is your expectation as regards a timeline? That's a really great question that's really hard to predict. I would say we are mid-stride right now, though, in terms of union, our ramping up our union. I would expect over the next course of the next couple months to see nurses more present in the community, community advocating for our union. Does the hospital board have anything scheduled in regards to evaluating your issues or talking with you to the best of your knowledge? I think we're gonna 
continue to reach out to them as we get more community and government support and as more nurses sign more cards and just continue communicating with them about our need and our want for our union. The UW claims that they cannot recognize the union citing Act 10. What is your assessment of this claim? That's a great question. We get a lot of questions um, around Act 10 and um, a nonpartisan neutral government agency called the Wisconsin Legislative Council. They examined the law and concluded that Act 10 does not prohibit UWHC from voluntarily recognizing a union. So they could legally voluntarily recognize our union. On behalf of Madison Labor Radio, we thank you very much for this interview. I'm Frank Emsbach from Madison Labor Radio. Quality assurance workers at Raven Software are breaking ground in the video game industry with the announcement of their union. We go to Labor Radio reporter Scott McCullough for more. Earlier today, January 21st, workers in the Quality Assurance Division at Raven Software in Middleton publicly announced their union. In their press release, they announced themselves as the Game Workers Alliance Union, a local of the Communication Workers of America, or CWA. They are asking for management to voluntarily recognize their union, saying that they have a supermajority of the workforce as members already. While the union is asking for voluntary recognition, most companies refuse to do this. When that happens, unions can seek an election from the NLRB. No other units at Raven or across the 10,000 employees of the parent company Activision Blizzard are yet unionized. Workers at Raven and Activision Blizzard have engaged in numerous job actions over the last year. In December, Raven announced that it was laying off 12 quality assurance testers. This prompted a walkout at Raven of over 60 workers the next Monday, plus over 100 others across the U.S. at other Activision Blizzard locations. While most of those who walked out returned to work within a few days, the Game Workers Alliance Union at Raven says that they are currently in the fifth week of this strike. In their press release, Becca Anye, a union member and QA functional tester 2 at Raven, had this to say, quote, Today, I am proud to join with the supermajority of my fellow workers to build our union, Game Workers Alliance. In the video game industry, specifically Raven QA, people are passionate about their jobs and the content they are creating. We want to make sure that the passion from these workers is accurately reflected in our workplace and the content we make. Our union is how our collective voices can be heard by leadership, end quote. The stated principles of the union are solidarity, sustainability, transparency, equity, and diversity. The tech industry, including video game development, has very low union density and has been seen by some labor unions as a major new industry to focus on. In January of 2020, the CWA announced their Campaign to Organize Digital Employees, or CODE, and the new Game Workers Alliance at Raven is a part of that project. While working for a video game company might sound like a dream job for some, for many it can be grueling. The industry is infamous for what it calls crunch, which are periods that can last for months of 80 hours a week or more to try to get a game completed on time. This is generally positioned as the last big push before the launch of a game, but with games now requiring regular updates, patches, and versions, crunch can just keep going. While the walkouts in December were prompted by these layoffs at Raven, another major organizing issue across Activision Blizzard is sexual harassment within the organization. 
In July, the state of California announced that it was suing Activision Blizzard over a culture of, quote, constant sexual harassment, end quote. Soon after the suit was announced, workers walked out on July 28th and over 2,600 employees signed a letter condemning the company's response. Many workers and those who play the games created by the company have been calling for the resignation of CEO Bobby Kotick throughout the year. The Wall Street Journal reported in November that Kotick knew for years about sexual harassment allegations, including rape, and failed to respond. Earlier this week, Microsoft announced its plans to buy Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion, which would then include Raven as well. This purchase could take years to complete. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Scott McCullough. Madison is seeking to deprive Madison Metro clerical staff of union rights. On Friday, January 14th, the City of Madison Employee Relations Manager sought to have four employees removed from the bargaining unit at Teamsters Local 695. Manager Greg Leifer petitioned the Wisconsin Employee Relations Commission to clarify the bargaining unit by excluding the four employees, claiming they were doing managerial duties, including having access to confidential data. Local 695 immediately notified the workers involved and contacted the union's lawyers. The local said, quote, Local 695 opposes any effort to remove positions from our bargaining unit, end quote. This is not the first time that employee labor relations manager Gary Leifer has made an appearance in the news. Two years ago, news organizations reported that the board of directors of the Willie Street Co-op hired Mr. Leifer to advise them on union avoidance. He was able to keep his day job with the city. Labor Radio will keep you informed as developments occur. I am Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. We'll hear an update on the ongoing Union Drive at an Amazon warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama. A second election at an Amazon Fulfillment Center in Bessemer, Alabama is set to kick off starting February 4th. According to a notice posted by the National Labor Relations Board last week, this election is a redo of last year's publicized election between the logistics company and the retail, wholesale, and department store union at the warehouse the results of which were ruled invalid when the board found that Amazon had violated multiple labor laws in pursuit of winning the election. The order for a second vote was handed down by the board late last year after ruling that Amazon's conduct was judged to be an interference in the exercise of a free and fair union election. The board made specific note of Amazon's placement of a USPS mailbox in front of the Bessemer warehouse for mail-in ballot collection as well as Amazon's improper polling of employee support during involuntary meetings. The second election, like the first, will be carried out by mail and supervised by the NLRB. The RWDSU made specific remedy requests to the NLRB before notice of a second election was issued. Requests which they say were not fulfilled by the board. 
The union expressed concern in a subsequent statement that, quote, the decision fails to adequately prevent Amazon from continuing its objectionable behavior in a new election. One remedy specifically requested by the RWDSU was that the second election be held at an off-site location where employees can't be surveilled and the NLRB would have more control. Conversely, Amazon asked for an on-site election and said it would provide, quote, a large climate-controlled tent in the parking lot where its employees could vote. Both sides and the NLRB used specific trends in the COVID-19 pandemic to justify their requests and decisions, but the board had final say over the methods of voting. Ballots for the second vote are expected to be received no later than March 25th, with a count of received ballots starting on the 28th. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup. Newsrooms are unionizing with increasing success as staff are cut at publications and journals see the need for a voice at work. Tony Reeves reports on the organizing success among IT workers at the New York Times. On December 29th, the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB, filed an unfair labor practices claim against the New York Times. The action was on behalf of 650 software engineers, program designers, and data analysts employed by the newspaper who were seeking to form a collective bargaining unit, the New York Times Technical Guild. These IT workers acted with the assistance of the News Guild of New York, local 31 2003 Communication Workers of America. This legal action was noteworthy because of the New York Times traditional reputation as a prestige media enterprise with a strong liberal pedigree. It was also notable because, consistent with its liberal reputation, the newspaper had announced support for the organizing drive when it commenced in April of 2021. However, the New York Times support for its IT workers proved to be short-lived. Newspaper management refused to extend voluntary recognition to the fledgling local. According to the NLRB complaint, it also pressured workers through mandatory anti-union meetings and through promises of improvements if the IT workers abandoned the organizing drive. The New York Times also prohibited its IT employees from openly supporting the union drive. Its stated justification was that these employees supervised journalism interns. As became clear when an internal memo from the law firm representing the New York Times was leaked in August of 2021, the media giant also intended to cut roughly in half the number of workers in the proposed bargaining unit. It planned to do this by claiming that the workers to be excluded were either management-level employees or that their work duties and environment were functionally different from that of legitimate members of the proposed unit. According to the leaked memo, the goal in excluding these workers was to create, quote, the smallest bargaining unit that is justifiable, end quote. In the words of union organizer and New York Times employee Angela Gua, these actions showed New York Times management did not seriously intend to maintain a neutral stance or to allow, as she said, a free and fair election in which everyone's voices are heard. The NLRB complaint is scheduled to be heard on Monday, March 14th. Members of the Guild request that their supporters show solidarity by emailing or writing to New York Times CEO Meredith Levine, L-E-V-I-E-N. 
Stephen Greenhouse, writing for Neiman Reports, a website and quarterly print publication, described newsroom organizing efforts as nonstop. From print journalists to digital publications and broadcast journalists, the movement is growing. Motivated by the consolidation of newspapers and staff reductions, the success of organizing efforts has spread to many news outlets. When Gannett bought the New Jersey paper The Record, newsroom staff was cut from 190 in 2016 to 100 today. Journalists at The Record voted 59 to 4 for representation by the Newspaper Guild. This union has grown by 6,300 new workers over four years. Once the record workers unionize, Gannett has not laid off any workers. Journalists at prestigious magazines like The New Yorker, New York, and The New Republic have joined a union. This is in addition to the digital news outlets like HuffPost, Salon, Vice Media, and The Guardian U.S. that successfully unionized. In addition to the financial crisis in the news industry and the job reductions following an acquisition, the pandemic has also stimulated unionization. According to Lowell Peterson of the Writers Guild of America East, quote, there has been a greater desire to have a voice and a greater desire to have a community, unquote. Numerous public radio stations, including WBUR in Boston and WHYY in Philadelphia, joined SAG-AFTRA, the union of radio, television, and movie workers. The source of this story is Neiman Reports. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel. The number of Starbucks stores across the country filing for union elections is also on the rise. Reporter Sean Hagerup has an update on their progress. Starbucks stores across the country continue their drive for unionization in the wake of another electoral victory for Starbucks Workers United, an organizing affiliate of the Service Employees International Union. This second victory came at one of three Buffalo stores which had originally filed for a union election in August of 2021. This store's union certification had been delayed after the initial count due to a series of contested ballots on both sides. After these ballots were set aside, the count of 15 votes for and nine against were made official by the National Labor Relations Board. New filings in Maryland, Virginia, Tennessee, Massachusetts, New York, and Oregon have all occurred since the new year and the announcement of the second Buffalo victory. Overall, 26 Starbucks stores across the country have now initiated an election process with the NLRB. In an effort to dilute voting pools, Starbucks has argued to the NLRB that elections filed by individual stores should be open to all baristas in the market, claiming that workers often float from one store to another. The NLRB has denied each of these requests, saying that important specifics like wages and staffing are still determined at the store level. If open to all company-owned stores, employees filing for an election would be grouped with almost 9,000 other locations across the country. In response to the company's attempt to defeat union elections, Starbucks Workers United lashed the company's anti-electoral behavior to their corporate values. In a recent public statement, the organizing group stated, quote, one of Starbucks's values is to challenge the status quo. We call on Starbucks to live up to this value by respecting our right to unionize and creating a true partnership. Starbucks should stop trying to bust our union and take this opportunity to set a new industry standard. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup. Of 
And now here's Frank Imps Pack with the statistic of the week. This week, disparities in unemployment rates. This week, we will look at employment disparities comparing black female unemployment rates with other workers in the society. This report focuses on Wisconsin. The Economic Policy Institute analyzed the pandemic change in employment to population ratios for prime age black women and all other prime age women by census division. Black and women are significantly below pre-pandemic levels, reflecting roughly 78,300 fewer employed black women. Black women workers have traditionally had strong ties to the job market. However, the jobs they have held have been impacted very heavily by the virus. More than half of black women in the labor market were concentrated in just five occupations. Overall, many of these jobs were underpaid and or were affected by closures and shorter hours or irregular work schedules. The EPI analysis notes that if the U.S. is to achieve an equitable recovery, then specific steps must be taken to address the needs of this population. Specifically, the EPI urges the American Rescue Plan and other federal grants to state and local governments be used to bolster employment, ensure workplace safety, close barriers to access for vital social insurance programs, continue a robust and publicly supported testing, vaccination, and booster outreach program, and provide financial support to working families through the programs like expanded unemployment insurance benefits. Thanks to the Economic Policy Institute for the data in this Labor Radio Statistic of the Week. I am Frank Emsbach. Stay tuned to hear about a strike of sanitation workers in Southern California. Members of Teamsters Local 542, a union local representing sanitation workers in Southern California, did not expect that the strike they initiated in early December would last long, according to a report by Jesse Marks for Voice of San Diego. At least one member said in that report that they expected the strike to be resolved by the new year. Their strike ended up lasting well into this month. Republic Services, the employer of local 542 members, dug in their heels for contract negotiations and did not concede to increased pay or benefits with each passing offer. Camaraderie and light feelings on the picket line turned to concern as workers envisioned the prospects of a protracted negotiation. As a backlog of trash started to fill the streets of the city, Republic upped the pressure to get union members back on the job. According to Marx's report, one district manager for Republic sent a letter to the union this weekend stating that, quote, the company will begin the process of reducing routes and laying off employees if our employees continue to refuse to return to work. The contract that was finally approved by workers at the beginning of this week came as a last, best, and final offer from Republic and was identical in terms to the contract rejected by workers just 11 days earlier. Some of the workers say that their approval of the final contract was based on the pressure of their benefits from the previous contract expiring. After voting to ratify the final tentative agreement, Teamsters members return to work starting this Tuesday. Reporting for Labor Radio, I'm Sean Hagerup. This week's COVID report includes recommendations on which mask to use. We're high but stable during this 14-day period ending Sunday, January 16th, with an average of 1,407 cases per day. 
The number of people hospitalized with COVID in Dane County hospitals was also high, but stable with an average of 190 people hospitalized each day. Percent positivity was 21% and an average of 6,830 tests were conducted per day. In December 2021, a person not fully vaccinated in Dane County was seven times more likely to test positive for COVID, 57 times more likely to be hospitalized for COVID, and 58 times more likely to die from COVID than a person fully vaccinated with a booster or additional dose. The nearest vaccine site can be found at this website, vaccines.gov. That's V-A-C-C-I-N-E-S dot G-O-V. Public Health Madison published guidance on the most effective mask to wear. The masks that gives you the most protection are the high filtration masks like N95s, KN95s, and KF94s. Public Health recommends that you wear the mask with the highest protection that you can also wear comfortably. This is going to be different for everyone. The N95 is the respirator approved by NIOSH to filter 95% of small particles. This is what healthcare workers wear when working with patients with highly infectious illnesses like TB and COVID patients. You might also have worn these masks before COVID when dealing with dust during a do-it-yourself project. NIOSH-approved N95 respirators haven't been tested for broad use in children. KN95 is the Chinese equivalent of the N95. They have similar filtering properties to an N95, but they are not tested or regulated by NIOSH. They are usually shaped like a clamshell with a vertical seam down the center. People can generally wear high filtration masks and surgical masks more than once before replacing as long as they are clean, dry, and still fit well. There are many possible symptoms of COVID-19, including fever, cough, or shortness of breath. If you think you have COVID or have been exposed to someone with COVID, testing is available at many sites. At the South Madison Public Health Office, testing is by appointment only. If you need help booking an appointment, please call 608-242-6328. Sources of information for this story are Public Health Madison and Dane County. For Labor Radio, this is Carol Weidel reporting. Thanks for listening to Madison Labor Radio. I'm Gary Mitchell. Thanks to editors Frank Emsbeck and Ellen Lalazern. Assistant Robin G. Reporters Greg Jabowski, Sean Hagerup, Anna Ham, Scott McCullough, Janine Ramsey, Tony Reeves, Carol Weidel, and Damage Control Specialist Joanne Powers. Special thanks to Keith Steffen, our reader coordinator, and to all our readers and the members of IBEW Local 2304 WORT Staff Collective. And I'm Gigi Todd. We would also like to thank all of our generous contributors to Labor Radio and WORT. Please stay tuned for the Blues Cruise with David Watts.